This is ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. On the panel today are Sean Goggins. Hi, I'm Sean Goggins, a computer science professor at the University of Missouri. And I work with these students over the summer on Google Summer of Code projects. And Derek Link. Hi, everyone. Good to be with you again. I'm the director of sales at Petrugia, co-founder of the Chaos Project. I'm super excited that you're listening in again on another awesome episode of Chaos Cast. We have four amazing guests today on this special episode about Google Summer of Code. These four guests have been mentees through the Google Summer of Code project during the summer 2020 with the Chaos Project. And we just want to hear all the awesome work that they have done. So I'll go around and ask if you could all please uh, introduce yourself to the audience. So Pratik. Hi, I'm Pratik Mishra, third year undergraduate computer science student from University of Calcutta. I'm an open source contributor and I like building new things, working with open source community. Beside that, I also do competitive programming as I love solving brain teasing problems. And so my most of the time spent on my laptop. Welcome Pratik, it's great to have you with us. Akshara. Hey everyone. I'm an undergraduate junior doing information technology from NITK Suratkal, India. My main areas of interest include machine learning and web development. And I was a Google Summer of Code student with the Chaos community over this summer. And apart from these interests, you can generally find me either at the gym. I also enjoy playing badminton and I also paint sometimes. Welcome, Akshara. It's great to have you with us today. Sarit. Hello, everyone. My name is Sarit, and I'm a computer science graduate student at the University of Illinois, Chicago. And I worked as a software developer before joining graduate school, and that was back in Nepal. So my general hobbies are mostly outdoors, biking, and playing soccer. And thank you so much, Kiosk community, for a chance to talk about my project in Google Summer of Code. Excellent. Thank you for being with us. And last but not least, Tianyi. Hello, everyone. My name is Tianyi. My full name is Zhou Tianyi because I come from China and uh, now I'm a master's student at East China Normal University in Shanghai. I major in data science. I'm very interested in open source community management and also open source contributor. And it's very exciting for me to get selected into the Google Summer Code. Really gorgeous experience in this summer. And uh, I'm very, uh, now I'm focused on network uh, analysis on open source community because it's a very novel area for data analysis in GitHub. It's really excited me and I'm working on that. I hope I can share more my results with over the world. Yes, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. And I believe, Sean, you were mentored to all four of them, right? Yes, I was one of the mentors for all four of the students. And 
I think there's a really great sort of combinatorial story here, but maybe hard to tell with audio. Pratik did a lot of computational clustering kind of work, mostly quantitative. Akshara did sentiment analysis of the text. Sarit did a lot of more complex textual analysis. And oh, Akshara also identified pull request clusters and their differences. And then TNE did large-scale network analysis. So they're all doing kind of machine learning types of things, but from very different perspectives. And I think one of the things that someone can get out of this podcast is how many different types of machine learning there are and how many different ways it can be useful in the open source community to apply the methods that these students did apply to practical open source problems, particularly in organizations that have hundreds or thousands of repositories that they try to keep track of. I think that's a really awesome thing. And you all built on the Augur technology that we have in the Chaos community. Is that right? I would say that they all developed within Augur, but the methods that they developed could be applied in any specific implementation. So I think they are built as Augur workers in three cases, but I think a lot of the logic and the libraries and the methods that are used could be applied more broadly. That's fantastic. So let's hear from you all about what specifically did you do? What was your project enlighten us? So let's go in the same order that we did introductions. Pratik, what was your project? What was the machine learning you used? What is the outcome that you were able to generate? My project was to create a machine learning model which detect outliers in the activities of the repository. So I mainly worked or analyzed the quantitatively and worked on time series metrics, like analyze the values of pull request, issues, code changes, commit counts on daily or weekly basis. So we have a lot of repos, like thousands of repos, and analyzing these repos, they have are different characteristics like their level of activity, either high, low, or moderate. And their scale is also different, such as their ranges of value in the time series metrics. So the first thing was to categorize these metrics into different sections, like the clustering it by their activities. So I decided to cluster in a basis on the level of the activity and thus separate it like how much active these repositories is throughout the period, like throughout the year. And so after analyzing this, I decided to implement the LSTM model with additional bi-directional layer. So yes, as neural networks law, it is useful in, it memorize the long-term sequence. So it is useful uh, how the repositories behave uh, like yearly or monthly, and it analyzes the sequences. I think what's really interesting about Pratik's work and distinguishes it from some others is he focused on existing chaos metrics and the quantities or counts that are generated through those metrics and then did machine learning and clustering on those. Uh, yes, so I mainly focused on the metrics that were already like built in the Augur tool. So I analyzed that and after the implementation, it has been found that the outliers were like either periodically and also some randomly and there were some very high values. So like sometimes there were more changes going on in the repositories. So that were some useful insights I discovered. 
And so yeah, in the output, we get like on the daily basis, like if there is the anomaly or not, like if there is the re reduction in the pattern that has been going from the last few months or last few weeks. So yes, and also the importance of this model is that it can be applied to the wide varieties of repositories, like any kind of repositories. It will first categorize it and then implement by tuning the parameters based on that. So this is one of like important in the LSTM. That's why LSTM is quite useful in this project. I think it's something that we hear quite a bit where when we look at projects, we want to understand are they behaving normal or is something going on that is changing in the projects? And so what I'm understanding, the work that you've done is to automatically detect, hey, this project is behaving out of line. It's not normal. And then we can dig deeper. Yes, exactly. This is the main our focus to analyze the repositories in this, like keeping mind in this, that how it is behaving throughout the past periods and what it is currently now doing. So is it going in line or some deviating from its uh, usual patterns? That's really amazing. And you can plug in any metrics. So any of the chaos metrics, even as we develop new metrics, you can just plug those in and start seeing behavior? Yes, almost all kind of metrics, which usually on the daily basis, like collected on the daily basis. So it mainly worked on the daily basis data, like the values of the pull request issues. So kind of all that important metrics that can be in a repository. So the one part that I still have a question about is, what is this... You said you did some clustering or label of activity? Yes. When I'm analyzing the data, I saw that there were sparsity in the repos. Like it happens like sometime in the weekdays, it like no values, no outcomes. Weekend in the weekend, no values. And sometimes it has high values, like high rate of submission of pull request. And sometimes it kind of low. So also, we, I saw a sparsity in the data and also I saw the deviation of their ranges of activity. Like sometimes they have high activity, sometimes low. So we clustered based on both on that. I came up with the formula to categorize this. And in the LSTM, we use one parameter, which is the time step, uh, like previous time as well. How many days we analyze to predict the next days? So by that, we categorize the metrics. And if the time step is more than uh, 30 days, like we have to analyze the whole 30 days to predict the next day. So this is highly active metrics, like it is performing continuously. And if it is not, it is like seven or five days, then it means that it changes rapidly, like it has not so high activity. So I think a common thread that runs through many of these projects is there checking for anomalies. So what is different in this period of time compared with what ordinarily happens on this project? And performing, I think, conceptually a moving average to identify when something jumps way up or drops way down when compared with what is more typical in a time period. It's pretty hard to do that just by what, keeping your eye on 100 Git repositories. <laughs> yes, it is automated. Then really agree. Awesome. Well, 
thank you very much for working on this project. Sounds like you were able to achieve quite a bit. So I would move on and Akshara, what was your project and what did you implement and what are we able to do now that your work is complete? So while Pratik focused more on the quantitative metrics and measuring how things change with time in terms of the quantity, I focused more on the quality and the content of the information which is flowing in and out of the GitHub repos. So the first task which I worked on was a computational analysis of the text and the comments of the GitHub repos. So this was mainly used to gauge the sentiment of that repository. Basically, while developers communicate or send through their code, what is the sentiment? What kind of uh, trends are we analyzing with time? And secondly, analyzing if there are any novel ideas coming through these comments. So this was novelty detection. For the sentiment analysis, I began with the standard approach of starting with Vader and uh, text blob, which are standard libraries implemented in NLTK. But unfortunately, I didn't get good results with them because these comments have a lot of technical words such as break, final, build, etc., which which in English would mean something negative, but in code, it's not necessarily negative. So for this, I needed to use a different kind of a machine learning model. So I switched to CentiCR, which is a model specifically designed to detect sentiment in code reviews and technical jargon. So the data set which I used was Stack Overflow technical content, the Jira issues data set, as well as the Oracle database. So by training on this data set, I was able to achieve pretty good results with the sentiment analysis. And for the novelty detection, since it was an unsupervised task, I didn't know like what kind of a thought process or what comment in the repository was actually novel or normal. So for this, I used autoencoders. Basically, an autoencoder is trained over some data which we consider to be normal. And later in future, when we feed it with new data, it tries to see whether the data which it is receiving in present is similar to the data which it has seen in the past. So if that's the case, it considers it to be normal. And if not, it's novel or an outlier. So in this case, we considered it to be novel. And the second part which I worked on was analyzing the quality of pull requests which were opened in a GitHub repo. So there were many factors which influenced this. So I could say there were of four types. The first one being the characteristics of the pull request itself, which means the sentiment of the title of the PR. So whenever a person opens a PR, they generally have a title which describes in short what the pull request is about. And the second thing being the number of commits which are added to this pull request. So these are the PR characteristics. The second one being the characteristics of the repository itself. So we kind of see how many issues are open at that point of time. So generally, if there are more open issues, we expect some PRs coming in. And secondly, the past acceptance rate of pull requests by that repository. So if it's a little complicated repository, I mean like, if generally new pull requests are not really welcomed by that repo, then it's 
unlikely that a new developer will get their PR merged at the first go. So that is another factor. The third one being based on the discussions related to the pull request. So when a person opens a pull request, the co-developers can pass reviews, give comments about it, as well as participate in a kind of discussion. So based on the number of participants and the sentiment of those discussions, we can gauge whether it is a valid rep valid PR or whether it needs more modifications, corrections, etc. And the fourth one, the past history of the person opening the PR itself. So if the person is new to GitHub, if they have contributed to past projects in any repository and things like that. So I used XGBoost for doing the supervised classification of whether the pull request would be accepted or not. So both these models, I converted them to auger workers. So the idea of doing this was to do real-time detection and sending the insights to the Slack bot Augie. The point of sending it to Augie is that we can get the notifications at a frequency when we want on, our, on Slack. So that was what I worked on. Thanks, Akshara. And Akshara's project really looked at like all of them predicting how things would go. And I think the focus on sentiment analysis early on provides a, a nice high level linguistic overview for a repository owner. And then understanding the characteristics both of the individual and the project in terms of prior performance of acceptance of a pull request enables a prediction of how likely any particular pull request is to be accepted based on the prior acts of both the repository and the contributor, which I think is really interesting and, and novel and might help open source developers really understand what's happening. Yeah, some of these ideas were borrowed from previous works or uh, research papers, which focused on mainly the quantitatives, like how many PRs did the person previously contribute and how many PRs does the repo usually accept? But these sentiment and novelty factors are things which were not analyzed previously. So I think that really was a kind of new thing which I could try out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, as a first impression, it makes a lot of sense to say, hey, a pull request that is one well-written, has a good title, and that is actually being worked on, so you have commits with improvements on it, makes it more likely to accept. Second, that you have repository that has open issues that is expecting pull requests makes it more likely that pull requests will be accepted. Makes perfect sense. Third, looking at the history on the pull request and the discussion that is emerging there as a probability that it will be accepted because, you know, you're responding to maintainer requests, making it even better. Should improve the probability that it gets accepted. And then fourth, I really like that you also looked at the person's history. So does a person understand how to work in the pull request model? Have they been successful in the past? I think those are all intuitively sensible things to look for. So I understand you built this prediction model and combined in your novelty and sentiment measures as a new thing that hadn't been done before. Have you tried out how accurate your prediction was? So, you know, did you go out and actually 
predicted probabilities and then observed over a week or two how likely those were to be merged? Yeah, so I had a data set which I had collected mainly from the Augur data, database itself as well as from the GitHub repo database. So I kind of divided the data set into a train and test. So when I tested it, I was able to achieve an accuracy of around 83%. And that is pretty good considering that I trained on not much data. So I didn't use the entire GitHub repo data set because it was getting extremely computational. So Yeah, I think there were around 3,000 repositories in the data set that you worked with this summer which were all corporatized open source software projects. Awesome. Yeah, 83% sounds pretty good. I would like to move on and hear from Sarit. Sarit, what was your project? What did you work on? And what are we able to do now that your project is complete? I mainly worked on two types of machine learning models. The first one is unsupervised clustering model, where our goal was to group together semantically similar repositories. And those were done using the TF-IDF features from the comments in the issues and pull requests. And beyond that, we also performed the topic modeling. So what topic modeling does is it assigns labels, the topics to the particular repository, and each topic would consist of bunch of keywords. So that's the unsupervised model. And for the phase two, I used the discourse act classification for the conversation that goes around in issues and pull requests. So the prediction would be made on the discourse act. So the labels in this case would be something like question, answer, elaboration, agreement, disagreement, a negative reaction, humor, those sort of things that goes around in a conversation. So I modeled that problem as a structured prediction problem. So what structured prediction does is there is a, it groups together the training examples into a sequence and there is an inherent dependency between those training examples. And the model I used for this task is conditional random field. I chose CRF over deep learning model is because it is far less resource intensive compared to other deep learning model like LSTM. And other thing is that since we didn't have the labeled examples in our GitHub comments. I used the data set from the Reddit, the predefined data set that already had annotated discourse annotations. And I trained the model on that data set and the prediction was made on the comments from the GitHub. Sarit did a more complex analysis in terms of really looking at conversation and words in GitHub. So it's a kind of machine learning that is Really designed to... Classifying the discourse act, they call it. Yeah, uh, so it's the conversational turn-taking that can happen in a pull request or an issue where I make a comment, you make a comment, a third person makes a comment, and so it's looking at that chain of conversation as well as the discrete text in each post. But really it's that conversational chain that his work is focused on and, and discerning... Right anomalies in that change, you know, what kinds of things are you and I talking about? How long does the conversation go on? How does the turn taking happen? Is it one, sometimes turn taking doesn't take place. Sometimes it does. So just, it's a very sophisticated kind of, I don't want to say like, I don't want to imply the others are not sophisticated, but I think 
computational linguistic analysis with a temporal component is a more complex kind of machine learning because it's taking the words and looking at how they conversationally evolve. Uh, I'm to give example. For example, discourse act can be something like it starts with a question and there is an answer and it ends there. Or it can be question, answer, followed by another clarifying question and then elaboration and it finally ends with the answer. And there can be like question, answer and appreciation as well. Like whenever the answer received is satisfactory to the person who asked the question. And there can be like question, answer, and something that disagrees with the previous answer that is classified as disagreement. And then another one that follows might be another answer and then agreement. So there can be like different combination of the discourse acts in a particular chain. So that's what the model predicts for the conversation in issues and pull requests. That's rather interesting to look at the evolution of conversations in issues and pull requests on GitHub. And what I'm wondering is, what did you learn about open source projects? Is there one way of interacting that is better than another? Or what is the insight that you can gain from this kind of analysis? One thing can be if there are a lot of conversation chain that involves disagreement. I'm not saying disagreement is bad for project health, but still it can keep some insight like there are a lot of discussions going on in this particular project. There are a lot of disagreements. And in other, like if there is rather uh, more appreciation, more appreciative comments, then probably that can indicate like better health for that open source project. Yeah, similar thing goes with uh, other acts like the negative reaction, humor, and like other elaboration, those discourse act classifications, yeah. Interesting. So one of the things that I assume you struggled with, just like Akshara struggled with, is the way of talking in open source is, or in these technical conversations, is different from other places that have been studied. And so using sentiment analysis and other tools that have been developed for other contexts would not work here. I was just wondering if you had some thoughts on the way we interact in open source. Yeah, you're right in that particular statement that the conversation mechanism could be different in GitHub compared to, let's say, in Reddit or Quora. I mean, roughly the discourse act, for example, if it indicates disagreement, it should be similar for all types of message threads. And if it indicates something negative, then it should be similar to different, like uh, whether it's Reddit or it's uh, GitHub, it shouldn't matter. So I think the model trained on Reddit dataset should perform pretty good for other domains like GitHub as well. Yeah, the real advantage of using the Reddit data is that it was already classified by a people. So we're using, it's a supervised method that Sarit's applying. And he's using the Reddit data set to essentially train what the outcome is. Essentially, it's kind of your prior, in contrast with Akshara using the priors of conversations within a repository. You're using prior documented, hand-coded instances of conversation. Is that right, Sarit? Right. So yeah, it's been labeled by the crowd workers. And it has labeled data set for around 9,000 discussion threads. So I think it's the largest one when it comes to online discussion, the data set. 
Yeah, it's having that labeling that I think really makes it valuable across right. a lot of technical domains. Right, right. Yeah, we couldn't like possibly hand label in the duration of Google Summer, of course. Otherwise, <laughs> we, yeah, that, that was another option we had, but yeah, that would be time consuming. We would have had to have like yeah. 11 Google Summer of Code people just doing the, right, the right. coding. It'd be Google Summer of Research Coding almost. <laughs> wow, that's really amazing. I would like to hear next from Tiani about your project. I believe yours is a little different from the others, if I recall. Yes, my project is relatively different. So my project is really focused on network analysis because I applied network science into the data mining problem. The key question my project is about how we can model such amount of open source trace data. Uh, because we know there are a lot of data in there and we need to know what those data set can tell us. So I think the best way is we can find a way to model this data. So I try to model the data with heterogeneous information network. This means I take the repositories, the contributors, and the pull requests or issues as nodes, a different type of nodes in the network. And there are different types of relationships between those nodes. So... We know that if a large network is meaningful because they are connected, so I want to know if the GitHub network is connected. The question is yes, because based on my experiments, the, the whole network built by the GitHub OpenTrace data is connected. So one research problem is about how we can construct a meaningful network. So how can Build a network, has built a network schema based on the open source trace data and can generate different type of network instance based on the downstream task that you concern. For example, the tag repository network, the pull request and contributor network, and other type of networks. All those networks are well connected into a very large network. So this is the first step. We model the data set with network model. So the next step is how we can turn this into a computable framework that helps us to solve the downstream task. For example, we want to know there are so many different repositories, and we want to know which two repositories are most similar to each other. For example, the TensorFlow project and the PyTorch project are very similar because they are all artificial intelligence uh, framework. So what we can do is we can represent those two repositories, uh, for example, uh, with vectors, our repository network. So we use vectors uh, to represent these two repositories and we can uh, compute the distance between those repositories and to find the score to represent their distance. So if you can imagine uh, an open source world where the three folks we talked with first are focused on giving insights to people for their own repositories. In the case of TNU's work with the application of network theory and network analysis, 
he's trying to frame the larger world of open source software, looking for similarities across the participation and engagement networks that are existing in open source across this large set of projects that he looked at. What I talked about is just one downstream task, that, namely the repository similarity, and also something else. Another example is about the contributors, because we know there are so many different open source communities, and uh, one contributor can contribute to different communities. So the contributor transfer is very common. So if we model the communities with network, we can find there are many contributors that transfer knowledge from one community into another community. So we can very easily to identify those contributor nodes on our network. It's another example. All of this must based on one on the truth that the, the network must be connected. So fortunately, the network is connected. I have verified this. And so what, one of the things that happens in network science is if you have, if you can imagine there are no overlapping nodes or no people who overlap from project to project, if you can't navigate the entire network, then you end up with what's called a disconnected network where you have two separate networks effectively where there is no overlap at all. And I think yeah. in the case of open source, there are a number of very large projects that allow you to do a walk from just about any other project, at least in the top million or so that TNE was looking at. And if in the future that doesn't exist, which I've, I've certainly worked with networks myself, then we have to solve a sort of a different, more complicated problem of how to describe multiple different networks with no connection. Yeah, there are some, some interesting in constructing the network because if we won't construct a network, we need to to select some repositories that we have based on those data to construct the network. One interesting thing is if we sort the repositories based on their active level, this means the most active repositories on GitHub and we construct the network uh, from the top one repository and the top two of three, the top uh, 1,000 and the network can get connected very quickly. Did you also, by any chance, take a look at the strength of connections between projects? Because intuitively, it makes sense to me that the projects would be connected. I can say this from my own experience. I would drop in an open source project. I see there's a mistake in the documentation. I open a pull request and voila, I created a connection. But I'm not really involved in all of the projects that I have create pull requests on. So I don't know if it's uh, sufficient to say, hey, there is a connection, there's knowledge exchange. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. Have you looked at those connections and their strength? This is a really good question. This is something with your task because uh, if you want to measure uh, if the two repositories are t connected together, you, there are different types of relationships you can construct the network with, for example, the pull request is a kind of relationship. And also the issues or commits, something like that. It's the network construction process is based on what do you care about. For example, I create the repositories 
network based on the tag is a bipartisan network. This is if two the same tag, we are connected. This is a kind of way to construct a network, but we, there are still other ways to construct a network. It's the only way that we can construct a network. This is relative with your questions and what task or what you want to do. So there are different ways to construct a network. Thank you, Tianyi. I think the really interesting part of what you did is that zoomed out view of the network and how projects are related to each other and how the actions on projects can make them appear similar in the network or more closely related. And strength is not, you know, to Georg's question, I don't know that, I mean, I think there is more granular work you could do with strength, but strength is pretty difficult to get to at a granular level at the scale of your top thousand repositories or whatever number you ended up using. In fact, the measure is very difficult because the two repositories similar to each other. The way that we can do is we use random work. We start from one repository and randomly select the, the repositories connected to this, our start nodes. And we do random work and we count the appearance of the repositories. And we use this data and this distribution of data to tell us which two repositories are close with each other. So I understand that this analysis showed that open source is a well-connected community of individuals and projects. Are there any other insights that you got from looking at the most active GitHub repositories? There are some interesting findings is as a uh, cluster coefficient. This means how the individuals connected with each other. This measures the connectivity. It's about just to test on the pull request and the contributor network. I constructed the network based on the contributor and the pull request data. So the cluster coefficient is about 0.5. It's always the same value. I cannot uh, interpret this phenomenon now, but I'm still working on that. This is all, almost uh, 0.5. I think it's very interesting. Interpret that clustering coefficient of 0.5 for us briefly, Tianyi. We have a nose, and there are some nodes connected to this node I. For example, we start with node I, and there are other nodes connected to node I, and how those nodes connected to each other. This is the definition of uh, the cluster coefficient. The maximum of cluster coefficient, uh, the maximum value of uh, cluster coefficient is, is one. This means all the neighbor nodes are connected with each other. And zero means all the neighbors are not connected with each other. So what I'm understanding you say is you looked at the network constructed in two ways. One was looking at the pull request and one was looking at the repositories as the nodes. And in both cases, you find that the network has a similar density of connections between different parts of that network. So that 
to me, it sounds like what we're seeing is that even if we construct the network differently, it reaffirms the idea that open source projects, contributors, the work that we do is connected and that there are interactions between all of the projects that we have. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you all four of you for sharing what your project was, what you did. Do you have some experiences that you would like to share with others from this project? Or how did Google Sum of Code live up to your own expectations going into it? And I'll just open up the floor. Feel free to chime in. Yeah, so for me, Google Summer of Code was the first time I contributed to open source. And I believe that it was a really great experience. I had a lot of flexibility in focusing on the areas which I really wanted to work on. And I also learned quite a bit during this period in terms of learning how to read research papers as well as implementing them. So during this phase, I realized that there is much more than what is written in the papers while actually implementing it and a lot of constraints in actually getting ML models to work as they should. And I also got a lot of technical guidance and support from the mentors throughout. The first month, Gabe was also there to guide. Post that, it was uh, Sean who was helping us throughout the period. And I think I benefited a lot from this program in terms of the code quality which I wrote, as well as ensuring that the code doesn't just run on my system, but it should run everywhere and not break the dependencies. Yeah, so I feel it was a really great experience. Well, that's great to hear, Akshara. Thank you. As for me, the JSOC is also the first time that I contributed to open source project. So what I really excited me is I found open source awesome. And this is more like a swarm intelligence that everyone has new ideas and they can share the ideas with each other. So after this, I my project is I'm still working on my project. So but I try to do this in a real open source way. So I started a new project uh, named the open source community analysis report that I want to attract all the other people that can share the ideas with me. So I uh, I built a data service that can help people to query data from my database. So it's very quickly, I, all my experiments are supported by my database. So there are a lot of, uh, there are almost uh, the, all, of, all of the data available on GitHub Trace Data. So I'm working on that. It's really exciting me and I want to see how far I can go. Well, I wish you good luck with the project. I hope that it gets successful because there's some great value that we all can get out of this network analysis. Yeah, for me, I had great opportunity working with the CAS community, especially with the experienced mentors like Sean and Gabe, and got a great support and learned a lot from them. Especially, I enjoyed the weekly meetups, which hosted by the Sean. And also, while working on this project, I got to learn more about the whole open source community, like analyzing their data, their activities. I got insights and learned a lot. And that was very interesting part of the project. And yeah, and also while working on this project, I 
like researched about different machine learning models uh, that could be used for the anomaly detection. And so, yeah, it increased my knowledge in machine learning field. And it's a nice time working in Google Summer of Code with the Chaos community. That's great to hear. Thank you. Okay, I'd also like to share some of my experience about the Summer of Code. So I agree with Akshara in that the program provides a lot of flexibility in terms of what you want to do. And I'm comparing that with, let's say, internship in some industry where we need to like output the things that they expect us to do. But here, thankful to the mentor that I had some flexibility in uh, determining the project, what I wanted to achieve over the summer. And also it provided me opportunity to build a portfolio around the project. And it's easier to showcase the work done because the code is visible to like the general public compared to like when you work in the industry. And also working with a diverse team of developers and learning from each other, uh, it was overall a great experience. Well, I'm glad you had a good experience too. So having four guests on means that we... Have less time <laughs> for each guest. <laughs> yes, we're coming to an end. And we always like to end our episodes with something that added value in our lives recently. We also call these picks. This couldn't be an open source project that you discovered that has made your life easier, or this can be something from your personal life, whatever added value to your life. And I'll get started. I recently got a bike. Uh, thank you, Matt German Pre, for gifting me a bike. And I've been really enjoying biking. And this weekend, I went on a little longer bike ride and it's, the weather is still gorgeous. It's just nice to get out and I'll leave it at that. Sean. My pick of the week is what is in scarce supply. And that is silence. For I have children in virtual school at home right now every day. So... I lock myself in my basement office and hope for as much silence as I can get to have conversations like this with you awesome people. That's awesome. But yeah, I had a little camping trip last week. So it was pretty fun in Michigan. So it was a National Lexor called Pixar Rock National Lexor. And it was fun to be there. Yeah, that's my pick of the week. Nice. Camping is pretty awesome. Go ahead, Akshara. What's your pick? Due to this pandemic and the lockdown which is imposed, this week was finally the time when I could have a virtual meet with my gang of friends from college. So over the past few months, all of us were busy with various stuff. Like I was working on Google Summer of Code. Many of my friends did an industry internship. Many people did a research internship and so on. And then we had two rounds of exams in college. And finally, this was the week when we had a free day to have a virtual meet with the entire class, the 105 of us. So it was really fun when, where we learned about what each of us did during the summer and how we spent our time at home in front of our systems. Yeah, that I felt was really nice to hear about everyone after such a long time. Yeah, that's really great that you could reconnect like that. Yeah, same with me too. I also had virtual meetings with my friends from college. And due to this pandemic, we are not able to go to college from the last six months. So it's been nice to meet. Obviously on a laptop, but at least something is better than nothing. Also, I've been 
like I'm from the competitive programming, so I solved a little bit uh, competitive problems and enjoyed these few days. Awesome. That means, Tiani, you get to round it off. What's your pick of today? As for me, I take a vacation and I got time to go back home and to spend some time with my parents and I visit my grandma. He's still very healthy. It's very, everything is good. <laughs> Wonderful. That's great. Good to hear. Well, it is time to say thank you. Thank you, Pratik, Akshara, Sarit, and Tiani for being awesome Google Summer of Code students with the Chaos Project for all of your contributions and sharing what you did today. Yes, thank, thank you very much for all your hard work on the Chaos Project. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Sean, for being a panelist today. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today. To stay up to date on future episodes, subscribe for free to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have ideas for future episode topics or would even like to come on as a guest, please email us at podcast at chaos.community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, your chaos community.